But Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20 is where we're going to station ourselves for the next few weeks as we close this thing out. And uh, this is Paul writing, if you haven't been in our series, Paul the Apostle, and he writes a letter to uh, the church at Ephesus, and, uh, and he writes this in, in chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. He says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything, to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandal with the readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, notice, in every, not some situations, not like the little situations or just the big situations, in every situation, everything that you face, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the word of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. And pray also for me, he would say, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Today as we continue on in our series, Citizens and Saints, I want to speak to you from the subject, it's not what you think. It's not what you think. As we look at the battles that we face in life being much more than just natural ones. Will you pray with me just one more time this evening? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active, that it's powerful, that it has the ability to change us. God, I pray tonight that as we read from your word, that as I try to communicate your word with integrity and with passion and expectancy, God, I pray that it would be your voice that we hear tonight, that it be your words for our lives, that they wouldn't be mine, God. We worship you. We thank you for this moment. I thank you for this amazingly beautiful church that has gathered all weekend long to lift your name high. I thank you for those people who have stepped over the line of faith and have said yes to Jesus this weekend. God, I thank you that you are doing something amazing in our midst right now. So we get out of the way and we say, have your way in this place. Where your presence is, there is freedom and we want to be set free. So may we experience your presence tonight. May we experience your peace tonight. May we experience your joy tonight. In Jesus' mighty name, come on and everybody shouted tonight. Amen. Amen. There's been a debate that has been taking our nation and the world by storm. I don't know if you've been purview to this debate. Um, I want to highlight it for you on the screen. It's an important one that we all need to figure out. Um, how many of you have engaged in this debate? Some of you have, all right? Yeah, so... Um, Listen, when I saw this, it was bound to make its way into a message at one point or another. And so the other night, um, as, I was, uh, as I was prepping for this message, Erica walked in as I was listening to this again. Um, and if you have not heard this, the question is asked, what do you hear, Yanni or Laurel? The guys in the back are going to uh, 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 like do this for us. How many of you hear Yanny? Just said it. Like, how many of you here, like me, hear Laurel? Awesome. Okay. You are all the spiritual people in the house tonight. I'm just putting that out there. Just putting, putting that out there. So, 
So Erica walks in the living room the other night, and, and she hears me saying this, and she's like, she's like, what is that? And so I told her what it is, and she's like, it is unequivocally Yanny. And I was like, no, uh-uh, you're wrong like normal. It's Laurel, right? <laughs> and so we decided to <laughs> debate back and forth about this. And, and, and then she, she used this phrase, and I used this phrase, and we went back and forth. It's not what you think it is. Like, it's not what you, th- it's not what you think you're hearing. And we're going back and forth in this debate. And this is actually what Paul is trying to give us when he pins Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. He's saying, listen, every single one of us face battles in life. But the problem is, is we have a tendency to devise what those battles are in a way that is actually not accurate. The battles that you and I are facing are not what we think they are. Because many of us assess the things that we face in life from a natural perspective. We have a tendency to throw math and science and all these other things at it. I'm a practical person, right? I am, that's just the way my mind works. And so if I'm facing a problem, if I'm facing an issue, if I'm facing anything in life, my tendency is to try to find everything I will research, I will study, I will re- anybody else like me in the house. And you will try to figure it out in your own power, in your own strength, in your own might. But here's what I've come to realize, and this is what Paul's saying. A lot of the stuff that you and I are facing, it's not what we think it is. It's actually not a natural issue. Because we are also spiritual people. Someone once said it like this, you cannot counsel out what Jesus cast out. It's a massive statement. But this is a hard thing for us to reconcile because in the, in the natural world that we live in, we want to think this way. And so many of us get uncomfortable with, with assimilating this idea that we are both natural people and spiritual people. But this is what Paul is saying, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against a lot of other things. And so this is something that we've got to understand because so many of us in life are frustrated. We walk through life frustrated, never really experiencing victory, never really overcoming. And I want to, I want to submit to us tonight that one of the reasons that we have a tendency to, to experience this and, and wrestle with this is because we're wrestling natural things when they're not actually there instead of engaging in spiritual realities. And so we've got to understand that this is something we've got to learn to process through. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about the importance of prayer. Which is hard for some of us. For some of us, prayer is a really weird thing because we think we have to start talking with an English accent and use gigantic words. Oh, dear God! Like, no! (laughs) Thou lovest thee with great measure! No! I don't even know what that means. But what what if I told you that prayer changes everything? And yet some of us, we don't engage in prayer because we're afraid of prayer. Because we don't really understand the whole prayer thing because it's, it's, it's spooky sometimes. It's weird sometimes. One of, the, one of the greatest issues that's facing our church is we don't help people normalize things. When actually the Bible speaks, all these things in here should be a normal part of our life. That's the crazy thing about it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hopefully over the next, next few weeks as we close this series, normalize some Things. But listen to what Paul would write to Timothy in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 to 19. He'd say, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the good fight, 
having faith, watch what he says, having faith and good conscience. Some have rejected these and have shipwrecked their faith. In other words, this is what he's saying. Good conscience, the natural idea of processing through things, that's a part of our life. But that, that's our good conscience. But then there's another part of us, the spiritual part of us, and that is our faith. And by rejecting these two things, we have a tendency to shipwreck our lives. So we've got to learn how to work these things out. It's not about balance. It's about understanding that they are a part of who we are. If you missed last week, we can't compartmentalize ourselves. We can't say, well, here I'm a natural person, and then here I'm a, I'm a spiritual person. No, this is who we are. It's this beautiful mixture of God's grace in our life. And so we've got to walk it out. But here's then the question we have to ask. If we battle in life, what do we battle against? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to answer that question. I see biblically four things that we have a tendency to battle against. The first one is this, the devil. Everybody's been quiet on that one all week long. <laughs> because it's a weird one for us to assimilate. Let's just be weird. Because for some of us, we see like the picture of Halloween comes up. Pointy tail, horns, the whole nine yards. That's, that's the picture that's been presented. And I have to give us this one. I have to work through this one. Because there is a line of teaching that's coming out now that is shifting away from the basic counsel of the Bible and, and, and teaching us that there is no devil. The problem with that is, is I can't get around it in Scripture. So I'm going to give you the Bible's opinion on it tonight, not Jason's opinion. Okay, because I want you to hear this, 2 Corinthians 2.11. For this is why I wrote, Paul writing again, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. Why? So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Why is that important to us? Because there's two designs for your life. There's the design of God that is wrapped, that is saturated with his grace and his call over your life. Every single one of you sitting in this building tonight needs to understand that you are called, you are chosen, you are purposed by God. There is a grand design over your life. And it's God's purpose and intent to get involved with your life and to help you work out that design. But while God has a design for your life, there's also a very real enemy that has a design for your life. And the Bible tells us that his design is to steal, to kill, and destroy, but God came to give us life and life to the fullest. So there's two designs that are working here. Have you ever felt like that before? I'm caught between two designs. James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I love that. Resist him, and he will flee from you. The devil made me do it is not an argument anymore. It's not an argument anymore. Why? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The rest of the verses say draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That means I can stand in the day of adversity. I can stand against the schemes of a real enemy. And I can draw near to God who gives me his peace, who gives me his joy, who gives me his wholeness in the midst of my trial. But we're battling against a very real enemy. And the Bible calls him the devil, Satan. However you need to spin it. But it's right there for us in, in Scripture. 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary. The who? The devil. Prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 
What a cruddy job. <laughs> Resist him. How? Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So the first thing that we need to understand, the first battle that we face in life is the devil, our enemy. Number two, every shot number two. The second thing that we have a tendency to battle against is our flesh. In other words, you battle you. You ever battled you before? <laughs> I've battled me before. Me's horrible sometimes. In Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 20, uh, 23, Paul would pen the scripture that I've deemed the doo-doo scripture. So Paul would write, I do not do what I do want to do, and I do do what I do not want to do. You ever been there before? <laughs> you ever been to a place where I'm like, oh man, today, all right, I got this. I'm going to do what I want to do. And you get to the end of the day and you go, I did not do what I wanted to do. You want to get to everything you wanted to do. And Paul's saying, I've been there, done that, experienced it. This is why I need God's grace. And for so many of us, we fail to understand the dichotomy that's worked out in our life between our spirit man and our flesh man. The flesh wants to do this thing. The spirit wants to do this thing. And Paul would say, oh, what a wretched man that I am. How do I overcome this? Verse 25, thanks be to God through who? Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. God is overcome. I don't have to go that direction, but boy, does it mess with me sometimes. My son has recently come home with a new vocabulary from school, and for some reason everything in his vocabulary has four letters in it. Parenting has changed for me. And all weekend long, there's been like judgmental eyes. But listen, you say those words too. <laughs> Have you driven on the freeway here in Utah? <laughs> so it's been an interesting moment in our household because um, we had to go, where'd you get these words? And he's, my friends at school said these words. And, and so he said these words, and then he taught his sister these words through a spelling lesson. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. Hey, just so you all know, I'm a real person. We have real things at home going on, right? And so, but man, we need Jesus right now. And so, um, so we're working through it with him, and, and, and we've come to this good place with him. He's like, yeah, and we've, you know, taught him why we shouldn't say those words and, and how they can hurt people and hurt feelings, and, and uh, that's just not who we are with character and integrity. So we're trying to teach him those things, and, and it's interesting, uh, a couple, couple weeks ago, I was down in his room as, as, as we processed through some of this with him, and he said something very interesting to me, and I know he said that to his mom too. He says, Dad, these words are just in my head all the time, and I just want to say them all the time. And I was like, me too. <laughs> do you know what I do in life? <laughs> I get it, buddy. I understand. And it was, it was a very interesting moment where we got to kind of walk through with him the idea that, there, that our heart and our head are going to contain things that we know we shouldn't move forward on, and that is the battle of our flesh. And every single one of us experience it. Every single one of us go through it. You know that that addiction doesn't have to win, 
but man, I want to keep on going back to it. But no, but I know God has more for me. But oh, my friend's over here. And I just want to, and this is the life. I do not do what I do want to do. And I do do what I do want to do and not want to do. And what do I do? We've got to lean on God. But the, here's the deal. We face battles with our flesh. We face battles with our flesh. So we face the devil. We face our flesh. The third thing that the Bible communicates to us is that we battle with the world. Listen to John 16, 31 through 33. This is Jesus. He says, Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you. Why? That in me you may have peace. In the world, what will you have? Tribulation. But take heart. I've overcome the world. I love that. And I think one of the biggest questions that so many, especially young people, are facing right now and, and are having a hard time assimilating is they go, man, how and why do bad things happen to good people? You ever asked that question before? Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, we first have to then come to the conclusion that we are inherently good. And in just a few minutes, we can quickly decide that we are actually not inherently good. Just watch the news. So let's just get that part out of the way. Can, are we people who have the capacity to do good? Yes, 100% we are. So why do bad things happen to people in this world? Here's the answer. Because the world offers us broken things. It's a broken system that we live in. And because of that, we experience the hurt and the pain and the jostling and the frustration of a broken world. But take heart, Jesus says, I've overcome the world. So we battle against an enemy. We battle against our flesh. We battle against the world. And the Bible presents to us a fourth thing that we battle against, death. I know, super positive, encouraging message tonight. <laughs> Don't worry, we will get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 25 through 27 says this, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed, watch what he says, is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. I love that. We contend with death, don't we? We spend our time, our energy, and our effort trying to avoid death. It's a hard thing for us to assimilate. In the culture that Paul would have been writing on, they actually had a totally different view and understanding of death. It was not this formidable foe that we stare at for 85 years and then go into the great wild blue yonder. Paul would say it like this, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Why? Because he had this perspective. Why did he have this perspective? Well, the Bible communicates to us that when Jesus was buried, rose again, and ascended into heaven, he defeated death, hell, and the grave. That was the power that was in him. Death had been defeated. So Paul would write in 1 Corinthians, he would say, man, death, where is your sting? Why would he say it? Because I have a perspective now of eternity that's very different. I understand that while to live, it is Christ. He will use me, and I will work for him, and he will work through me. But to die is gain because I will go to a place that is great and better. Heaven is my home where there is no suffering. There is complete peace and joy and the presence of God's grace. Heaven is my home, but I've got work to do while here. And so we've got to change our perspective on death. Does death hurt? Yes, 100%. But is it meant to win? No. That is the good news of the gospel. 
that there is a greater place waiting for us. Come on, that's good news, church. There's a greater place waiting. So these are the four things that we, that we battle against in life. I don't know about you, but I want to be the type of person that can say at the end of the day that I've done my best by the grace of God to stand against the very things that he gave his life for and ultimately has given me the power to overcome. I'm not talking about behavior modification or standing against the things that I think are not right. I'm just talking about standing when that's all I have in front of me. Resisting, learning that I am an overcomer. Charles Spurgeon would say it like this, there are no crown bearers in heaven who are not cross bearers on earth. Think about that. So before we close tonight, I want to give you three reasons that we must battle. Because maybe you can get down with me. You'd be like, yeah, okay. I battle those things too. I battle those perspectives. I'm battling those things. So why? Have you asked the question why? How many of you are wires? There's more than four of you who are wires in here. I know that. <laughs> I'm a wire. Like, why? 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 Now I know why my kids get it, right? It's constantly why. I'm a wire. So why? do we battle? I'm going to answer those questions for us tonight. Everybody shout number one. Help me out tonight. The first reason that we must battle is battle must take place if we are to experience victory. Listen to me when I say this. There is no victory without battle. Battle does not exist, or excuse me, victory does not exist without battle. My son just won a participation award. He's been playing basketball for about eight weeks now, and he got a participation award. <laughs> this league does not keep score. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it does not keep score. You are not allowed to steal the ball. It's hands up the entire time. I know. That's what I said. Right? They don't keep score. The kids run up and down the court. They don't. They don't dock you for traveling. <laughs> At one point, I've seen a child just pick up the ball and run like it was football. <laughs> right? My, my wife is more vocal than I am. I'm keeping it calm, and she's like yelling at the kids and our son and trying to get him to go in. And I'm like, babe, they're, not, they're literally not allowed to do anything in this league. <laughs> I didn't understand it, so he came to me yesterday after his game, and he's like, Dad! Won an award. And I'm thinking to myself, for what? <laughs> All you did was run up and down a court. <laughs> but I didn't say that to him. I said, good job, buddy. <laughs> Way to participate. <laughs> What's actually frustrating about this exercise for me as a father is that he is not going to, at least at this point in his life, understand the greatness of winning because he hasn't yet had to contend. And here's the funny thing. We want that type of life with God. God, I don't want to fight for anything. Just zap me to winning. Just forgo all this. Just put me over here in the winning circle. But see, God is a father 
who cares more about our process and our journey than the arrival to winning. And he says, listen, in battle, you are not going to understand this until you fight through some things. So you need to face some stuff in order to experience victory. Because if you don't contend, if you don't fight for something, then you can't understand or grasp the reality of victory. My wife and I, we love to fight. We've experienced a ton of victory in our marriage. Because we love to fight. It's good. Why? Because where there's contention, there's victory. And for a lot of people, they don't want to fight. They just want to sweep it underneath the rug. And you will never experience the victory that you need to experience until you are ready to fight. Battle in life must take place if we are to experience victory. Number two, the second reason that we battle is battle is necessary, is the necessary means for enhancing victory. So not just being victorious, but then actually enhancing what victory is in our lives. An anonymous author wrote this that I saw the other day. It's a beautiful quote. It says, no victory was ever great other than the one that was diligently fought. Napoleon said it like this, victory belongs to the most persevering. And Paul would echo all this in 2 Timothy 4, 7 when he would write, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Those three issues. I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And what he says, henceforth. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. The Lord, the righteous judge, will ward me on that day. Because I have fought the good fight, because I have ran the race and finished it, because I have kept the faith, the victory that I now have in Christ is enhanced. I understand it all the more. Get it? We have to battle for victory to be enhanced in our life. Because we will never fully grasp what victory is unless we're willing to battle. How many of you love movies? Show of hands, movie, movie people? Okay. 11 a.m. was super skeptical in answering any of my questions. How <laughs> 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 many of you have seen the, the, the movie uh, Saving Private Ryan? Yeah, amazing movie. Um, I, get, I get sucked into movies. And as I get sucked into movies, it can, it can get pretty bad sometimes. <laughs> I feel for the person. And if you've ever seen the movie Saving Private Ryan, it's about this battalion of soldiers in, in World War II, and they're going off to find Private Ryan. And one of the soldiers that gets put on their team is who I've accurately defined as the cowardice soldier. How many of you know who I'm talking about? How many of you hate him still? <laughs> A few of us. And so there's this particular scene in the movie where there is a hand-to-hand -hand combat scene between a German soldier and an American soldier, and they're upstairs, and it's hand-to-hand it's -hand combat with a knife, and they're going back and forth, and it's a struggle with this knife where one's trying to stab the other one. And it keeps going back and forth in the scenery to these guys fighting up top, and this soldier sitting at the bottom, never engaging in battle. Never engaging in what he was supposed to engage in. Never engaging in the fight. And I always found myself, if you're like me, at that movie, and I'm like, can you just get in the game? Come on. That guy doesn't need to die. Just do what you're supposed to do. That's, like, that's how I get with it. I'm just like frustrated. And so eventually, if you haven't seen the movie, spoiler alert, they find Ryan. <laughs> I 
<laughs> Sorry if you haven't seen the movie. Did you know in the end of the Titanic, it sinks, just so you know. <laughs> Plot twist, exactly. <laughs> so they find Ryan, and everybody in the battalion's gone through all their stuff, and they've been beat up, and, and man, people have lost their lives and everything like that. And there's this sense of, of camaraderie and this experience of the victory that they now have. And I always found it interesting that the cowardice soldier could never experience the same victory that the rest of his battalion could because he was never actually getting in the fight. And that's what Paul's saying. We're going to battle through things and we have to be okay with it. There's another quote, more often than not, greatness is not in the instant miracle but rather in the daily pursuit of holiness. Being equipped by the Holy Spirit to be the more than conqueror that we've been called to be. You gotta fight. You gotta battle. Theodore Roosevelt would say it like this far better it is to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy nor suffer much because they live in the gray twilight that knows neither victory or defeat. It's called sitting on the fence. Man, just don't. I just want to stay in this safe space. But in order for victory to be enhanced in our lives, we got to fight. we got to fight. Not only does it help us have victory, but it enhances victory. And then there's a third thing that we need to understand about battling, and it's this. And the last one is this. Battle is the required element for securing victory. But here's what we need to understand tonight. You don't secure victory. Christ has already done that. His battle secured victory. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15 says this. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set aside, he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Come on, somebody, that's good news. That is the good news of the gospel. Battle is required element for securing victory. And we need to understand something tonight, that the victory that we have in Christ has already been won in his name. There is nothing you can do to secure it. It's all been done by and in and through Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. I was listening to a speaker this week by the name of Robert Madu. He's a speaker, he travels and speaks in conferences and everything like all over, all over the United States. It's pretty amazing what he's doing. And he was talking about watching Lion King the other day. How many of you have seen Lion King before? Like how many of you are like me, that's my favorite movie, come on, <laughs> right? When my son was born, it was like <laughs> in that moment. I've always wanted to do that. I never did. So he's talking about watching The Lion King. And I don't know if you remember the scene. When Simba wanders off, he finds himself in the dark lands. And the hyenas surround him. Right? 
It's such a, it's such a like awesome part of the movie. And so the hyenas surround him and they start taunting him. And they start baiting him. They're making fun of him and they're saying all these things about him and how he's the prince and he can't do anything yet because he's not the king and all these different things. And if you remember this part in the movie, Simba gears up after being baited by the hyenas and he goes to let out a roar. Remember this moment? And when he goes to let out a roar, he goes and he's like, <laughs> I have to do this for comedic effect. <laughs> It's like a little lion on puberty, just, yeah! So the hyenas start laughing at him, like you're doing right now. And they start taunting him more, and they start laughing at him more. And they're like, do it again, do it again, right? They're trying to get him to roar again. And in this moment, the second moment, Simba lines up, and he, and he postures himself to let out a roar. And not understanding what it is that they were trying to do, he goes to roar again. But in this moment, all of a sudden, the pitch of the roar changed. It was no longer Simba's roar. It was his father's roar behind him. And if you remember this moment, all of a sudden, there was this authoritarian roar, this roar of power, because his father was standing behind him. And so many of us are facing the battles that we face in life, and we're launching little puberty roars. <laughs> and no wonder we don't want to fight. No wonder we don't want to battle. But I want to tell you tonight, I want every single one of us to walk out of here tonight understanding that it is not your roar that wins the battle. It is the roar that was made from a heavenly father who said, I paid it all. So you can battle. Oh, it's time to battle. Well, go over this. Why? Because I have a God in heaven who says, I've gone before you, and I stand to the left and to the right, and I'm behind you. And if anything comes against you because I am for you, nothing will overcome you. That is the battle that we face. So Paul says, listen, we don't battle against flesh and blood. We don't battle against natural things. We battle against spiritual things. And we can win our battles, we can stand victorious. Why? Because we have a God in heaven who let out a roar on that cross when he said, it's finished. It's finished. Addiction does not have to hold you. It's finished. Sickness doesn't have to hold you. It's finished brokenness and depression and darkness does not have to hold you it's finished it's been conquered it's been overcome in his name the name the bible said which is above every other name to which every knee should bow and every tongue shall confess that he is lord that he is greater than all so we come to him with confidence knowing that he shouted he let out a roar when he said it is finished come on somebody let's stand to our feet let's worship him tonight come on let's sing it out team